Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew Freeman and Susanna Skyer-Gupta. Thanks, Ray. This is the RayWenderlich.com podcast. Welcome to episode three for season 12. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, the 30th of November, 2021, for release on the 15th of December. This episode is sponsored by Hopefully Working Technology. I am your host, Drew Freeman, with my co-host, Susanna Skyer-Gupta. Thanks, Drew. This episode, we dive into some really cool things and talk with season eight co-host, Jay Strawn. Jay is an iOS developer passionate about languages both human and code-based. He works at Utility NYC, crafting award-winning mobile experiences for a wide range of clients. Here at RayWenderlich.com, he's the co-author of Design Patterns by Tutorials and was an instructor in the RW Bootcamp. Jay, welcome back to the show. It's so good to see you again. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, Susanna. It's so good to be here. It's been a long time since I was on the podcast. And now it's the shoe on the other foot. We've got you you in the guest chair today. (laughs) It feels totally different. I'm almost nervous. (laughs) But you've done so much for Ray since you uh, since you uh, did the podcast. You've done a a book, the the boot camp. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had done the book. um, I I just finished that right around when we started. And then since then, I've been uh, working on uh, the Ray Wenderlich Bootcamp and um, working at Utility in New York City. And let me tell you, design uh, design patterns by tutorials is just fantastic because it, it really takes Gang of Four and makes it a simpler thing to chew on. I tried to read it. It was um, it, it's very dense. It's um, you you wouldn't think that it would be that dense, but it's uh, it's hard to read. I was gonna say yours, Jay, is on my must read list, and I'm fascinated too because I know. I know you're a career changer. Like I looked you up on LinkedIn and, you know, I know you you come from like the librarian classicist background and then to have your book here, your first book here be design patterns. I mean, that's really intense. Yeah, it was hard. Really techy. Yeah, it's funny because uh, growing up, I'd always wanted to be an author and write a book. And I uh, I majored in English literature and Russian literature at Columbia University. And I never thought that the first way that I would get published was specifically about (laughs) technology and design patterns. Um, But it felt awesome. And it was a lot of research because, um, you know, I I never took any computer science classes. Uh, You know, you don't I didn't have time with all the the Russian poetry that I had to analyze. But uh, uh, after after college, I got interested in technology. Um, I was like, you know, I was working in nonprofits and um, they had me updating the website. And I actually really liked that. So I did a few boot camps. And then right after that is when I met Josh Green and he uh, kind of encouraged me to try and see if I could work on this book because of my background with, you know, writing, asking for grants, writing research papers, um, just kind of take that skill and apply it towards um, design patterns. And design patterns itself is typically a 300 level or higher class. It, it, it's, it's not your it, it's not your kick around in Java class. It is. It, it, it's really understanding architecture on, on the first level. 
Yeah, it's a uh, it's a lot of like high level concepts. And what made it harder was that at the time there were not that many swift examples of design mm-hmm. patterns. That was kind of why we wanted oh, to write wow. the book. So all, all the best uh, examples that I could find were actually in JavaScript or Java, which I don't speak. <laughs> So, but you were able to translate them into Swift or did you have a co-author who helped with that? Yeah. Josh Green helped a lot. Or, um, okay. just, he goes by Joshua Green or Josh. We had him join us on the show, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was, um, uh, you know, this book is very much like uh, his idea and what he was very excited about. He loves taking design patterns and explaining them in a way that makes sense to someone who doesn't have a computer science degree. He's really amazing at that. So having him around to help if I was stuck or if I didn't really understand what uh, some examples were trying to to convey um, about a design pattern, he was always there to bounce ideas off of and be really helpful. And I've got it right on my shelf. It's a good book. Very good oh, book. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I, I, I have five of them on my shelf. I should. Uh, <laughs> oh, the benefits. <laughs> yeah, I get the updated copy when it comes out. I was going to say you have holiday presents at the ready. Ooh, that's a great idea. Yeah, I'll sign it and give it to uh, all my programmer friends. Now, you then also have done the boot camp now. Uh, as a, a teacher or, or like a boot camp that well, I got started you, with? Did you attend a boot camp and teach it? Yes. Uh, not with Ray Winderlich. Uh, I attended a boot camp um, after I moved back to New York after my year in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how I got um, my first iOS jobs and internships. And then um, after that big career change, when I heard that Ray Wenderlich was going to do an online boot camp specifically to help people um, who may have lost their jobs uh, after COVID, I really wanted to be a part of that. So um, I signed up to be a teacher for that. So I want to drill down more and, and learn more about origin story. So you were here in so i'm in chicago so you were here in chicago tell us about what you were doing here and how that led to a tech boot camp yeah so um after college i did an americorps type program it wasn't americorps but it was very similar where um i got a job at the nonprofit refugee one in chicago and so i moved over there and i had housing and I worked there for a year uh, helping refugees uh, who were re- who were resettling in the city of Chicago and uh, more specifically Rogers Park area. I love that. I, and I know Rogers Park. Um, my I had family who were in Rogers Park when I was a little girl and it's a beautiful area. And, and you know, how exciting to share it with brand new Americans. Where Where is Rogers Park in, in relationship to, uh, to downtown Chicago? Um, pretty uh, far north. Yeah. North. Okay. I do not know Chicago, so I have to ask. It's a really interesting area. It's, it's really ethnically diverse and like great Indian restaurants. And also mm. like there's also a lot of traditionally it was the um, the center of the Jewish community. And it's just like it's all it's a it's a delicious hodgepodge. Yeah, it's really awesome. I am. Um... When I was and Refugee One, I believe it was in it's in Uptown. Um, I think that they moved to a larger office a couple of years later, so I don't really know uh, exactly where they are now. But um, uh, I, at Refugee One, I was in charge of training volunteers 
uh, keeping track of them in a database. So like a CRM type of thing, which was my first um, kind of foray into using to working a job that had, you know, some really serious CRM. Like before then, I'd actually worked with uh, Microsoft Access and some other things um, at my library job. Um, I was the zine librarian at Barnard College for a few years, and that was really cool. Yeah. And um, while I was there, I actually got to um, uh, I was cited in a a book about Sleater Kenny because there were a lot of zines about them. So um, that's one of my favorite things that I've been credited in is helping research Sleater Kenny uh, for for that book. Um, Okay, so you were here, Refugee One, Mm -hmm. and they said, "Okay, here's this CRM you've got to use. You've got to use. You've got to program it. You've got to change it. What Um, did you uh, there were um, there was a little bit of uh, programming in, in that you could make custom fields, but you you sort of had to go in kind of deep. Um, where I got really excited about programming was uh, when they asked if I could take a look at the website just to see if I could figure out how to update things. If they because you know when you're a nonprofit, uh, if there's someone in the office who knows how to do something, that's better than having to you know pay the guy mm-hmm. that knows how to use WordPress to make a small of update. Um, yeah, because you want that money going towards the people that you're trying to help. So I learned a little bit about HTML. I, at one point, programmed a little JavaScript, um, uh, sort of like, you know, as you're raising money for a fundraiser and you have like a, a temperature thing that goes all the way up to 100%, one of those. Right. And um, that was really fun. So I started getting into like um, looking at Swift and jailbreaking my phone and trying a few things to uh to, to get started learning uh, programming and see if that was a career path that I wanted to check out. Yeah, I remember the early days of iOS. You uh, you had no choice but to jailbreak if you wanted to do some serious programming mm. on it. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think that I don't think that you could do any of the jailbreaking in, in Swift, actually. Um, like I would mm. download tweaks that other people had made and then there would be a tutorial on how to customize it. Um and then you would kind of, you know, go into there and tweak things. And it was a good learning experience, even though I wasn't really building stuff. I was just kind of editing things that someone mm-hmm. else had built. Yeah, it's so cool to see it work, though. And then oh, yeah. it'd be like, OK, well, what if I change like the tutorial said this? But what if I do this instead? And oh, wait, oh, no, my phone doesn't work at all anymore. And <laughs> oops, I've lost all of my photos from the past year. That that <laughs> no, be careful cool breaking your yeah, yeah. <laughs> jailbreaking your iPhone is actually a lot safer uh, in the past few years. I haven't even looked into it uh, lately, but there was a time where you could really just brick your phone very easily. Yeah. Well, it's it's getting harder and harder to jailbreak, and there's less and less reason to do so. Yeah, we because have widgets a now. The, a lot of the original reason was to get to APIs that weren't open, and mm. now you pretty much have most of the APIs you want open, and most of the stuff that people were going after that aren't open are things you really don't want to mess around with because they'll really just botch up the security the, the and the like. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and actually, a really large reason why I stopped jailbreaking my iPhone was because of the security patches. Like, we do banking on our phones. I don't want right. someone looking at that. Yeah. Okay, so you were doing the website, and it was cool and fun. How'd you end up... Why a boot camp? Like, why a boot camp instead of going back for additional like college level 
work. And how'd you find a boot camp? Like, how'd you decide which one? Hmm. Uh, I actually went to a boot camp that uh, a friend I had had completed. Um, she'd worked in insurance and knew a lot about, um, you know, about, she'd done some programming with the, the CRMs um, there. So um, she decided to change her career to making iOS apps instead of CRM stuff. And, you know, she showed me the apps that she worked on. I got to see a little bit of Xcode. I thought that this looked really fantastic. So she told me about the boot camp that she went to. And uh, I looked at a few others. Um, and actually, before the boot camp, I did try to teach myself a little bit. But why I decided to specifically look into a boot camp was because um, I didn't have the computer science background that um, like, you know, when mm -hmm. we're all beginners and we're Googling, yeah. how right. do I do this? It's a little bit difficult to find things on Stack Overflow that answer our questions if we don't even know the vocabulary words of what we're searching for. So, that is so uh, well said. That's yeah. very well put. Yeah. Thank you. It was just, uh, you know, if you're working on um, or when I got my first internship, um, I was told, try working on something for about 45 minutes. And then if you're still stuck, then that's a good time to ask for help, because um, after that point, you might just kind of be trying different things and not going in the correct direction. And um, that boot camp was sort of deciding to ask for help uh, from, you know, another person who knew more than me. And I learned things a lot faster there. Uh, it was absolutely worthwhile um, to do that and have, you know, a human being uh, there when Google was just not helping me at all. Right. And so you did an in-person one. Yes. Uh, it was in New York City. It's called Turn to Tech. Um, I believe that they don't do iOS anymore. I think that the boot camp still exists, but I think that they're only doing it for um, uh, like cyber security stuff now. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. But it was it was really good. And at the end, they were able to help me get an internship with an app. And um, that's a really big thing. Um, to have some work visible in mm -hmm. the app store somewhere when you're yep. applying for your first jobs post boot camp. Was that now, was that part of the value proposition going in that they said, you know, this is going to cost? I know it used to be that these in person boot camps would run full time for several weeks, and they're not, I don't know, is it fair to say they're not inexpensive? You know, uh, it, I mean, it depends on expensive. how you judge that, right? I mean, like value yeah. for money, maybe they're not, but in an absolute sense, you've got to have what, like 15 grand or something to sink into this up front. Yeah, that is about how much it costs. Um, when I uh, when when I went, um, I paid about nine thousand dollars because I Ooh. qualified for a scholarship. Um, but that is about the cost of most boot camps that I can think of right now is about 15,000. Yeah. I lucked out when I, uh, when I went to the, uh, the big nerd ranch boot camp early on in their Ooh, I love career, the nerd I, I was very, I, I was, I think in their second boot camp, but you were actually paying to stay at a lodge in South Carolina. Uh, you were getting fed, you had a bedroom, um, oh, this sounds fun. and then on That's top Awesome. Of that you had eight hours a day for a week of nonstop Big Nerd Ranch. Uh, but at that point, it was only about four grand. But obviously, as the demand picked up, 
you know, so did the price tag. Mm-hmm. So, Jay, when you did yours, did you go in knowing that there would be an internship at the end? Like, is that part of what the promise was? No, actually. Um, the, about halfway through my time there, they decided that they wanted to try a pilot program, reaching out to startups to see if they could get any of their students who were towards the end of their education um, to be an intern um, at their place. And I was either the first or second batch of students who got to do that. Um, I got to work with a uh, the startup no longer exists and my app never got on the app store, unfortunately. Oh. So I didn't get visibility from that, but it was for modern art and, um, selling, um, really cool looking paintings. Like the, the app was really gorgeous. Oh, that's really appealing. Kind of like artsy, but, um, but app only like the artsy, like artsy.com. Uh, I'm not familiar with that one. It was the idea was uh, to sell paintings and they were trying to set up a simple API where whatever paintings they had for sale, uh, we could get them with a get request and then put them in a a little news feed so people could see uh, what they could uh, purchase or uh, register for a limited print of. Oh, that is that's pleasing. I would have loved working on that, too. Yeah. And they had a really cool office. It, It was pretty great. And this is what brings you to New York. Or the the boot camp was in New York. Yes. um, I went to college in New York, and I I really like New York. I tried a year in Chicago. It's a fantastic city, one of my favorites that I've lived in, but I decided that New York was really the place I wanted to be long-term. So I moved back, um, and I decided that my plan was, um, you know, I was going to walk dogs a little bit, save up, and then uh, start start a boot camp. Um, So... Uh, you know, I, I walked dogs and everything, uh, saved up a little bit of money and then just kind of threw myself into the boot camp for a few weeks uh, and then had that internship towards the end of it. It was an unpaid internship, though. Um, so, yeah, uh, during that time, uh, I actually ended up and this is uh, I if anyone wants, you know, advice about boot camps, I would not recommend doing this. Um, yeah. I, I worked overnights at Rite Aid. And then I would uh, get off work at 7.30 a.m., nap for a little bit, and then either, you know, remote in to work at my internship or go downtown and then, you know, come home, take a little bit more of a nap and then work overnight again. Uh, Not quite the glamorous, highly paid programmer lifestyle that we think everyone's doing, you know, (laughs) like you look at the Facebook salaries. That's, yeah, you know. Well, another thing about boot camps is that, um, you know, the, the boot camps have an interest in, you know, highlighting the people who get, you know, end up working at Google one week after they graduate. But right. the reality for pretty much everyone in my cohort and everyone that I know that's done boot camps is that it's really hard to land your first gig out of a boot camp. I mean, we're talking about, um, or, or just the question, like, uh, there's not a lot of companies that want to hire someone who six weeks ago d- printed Hello World for the first time. And <laughs> now they have six weeks of experience and they're ready to build an app like and earn $100,000 a year. It takes a lot more time to get yeah. really good. And the boot camp is fantastic because it taught me so much more in a short amount of time than I could have done on my own. But then after right. that, it's like, um, yeah, I wouldn't recommend unpaid internships if you can help it, but you still have to put in time with uh, internships. You're going to have to work on personal projects. You want to establish a portfolio. Um, 
things that prove to the places that you want to work that you know what you're doing and that you have examples and um, projects that you can show off to them. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to shift from the boot camp you took to the boot camp you taught. Okay. Mm. How is it like now being the teacher in this? How let, Let's back up and say, how much of the material were you responsible for planning out? We all, there were four of us and we alternated who taught what class per week. So, um, uh, and we didn't have, uh, um, we didn't have everything planned out before. So it was sort of like, um, see what is going to be taught this week. And then when you make your lesson plans, build off of what was taught by the last instructor in the week before. Um, and, you know, we did that with plenty of time to get the homework set up and everything, but um, it wasn't all uh, like, I, I think that if we do it again, we would want to have all of the lesson plans and homework completed, you know, a, a, a four weeks before we even start. Um, but yeah, so I guess that between the four of us, I was responsible for about 25% of the course material. Um, another challenge that we really had to think about was that this was 100% online. Um, I, uh, even now I'm not sure if I know of any 100% online boot camps because so much of the draw is that you have a teacher who is there who Mm -hmm. can help you when you have questions and stop you from spending two hours on a problem um, and instead kind of steer you towards the answer that you're looking for. And that motivation to keep going that, you know, like we know this about online education, that it's it's difficult to complete online education. And I think that really is the the missing piece is that when we're face to face with other humans, you know, there is this emotional, psychological contract of we're here face to face and we're going to meet back here whenever, like next class meeting or in a boot camp, like tomorrow. Or it sounds like, um, Drew, when you're describing your um, big nerd ranch experience, like we're going to go back to the hotel together or the lodge and then we're going to see each other, you know, at dinner. Mm-hmm. And like, it's very, very bonding. And uh, we're we're learning how to make that work online, but I don't think inherently for us as humans, it's it doesn't work quite as well. And we had Jen Bailey on the last show where we talked about that relationship of having the ability to go up and ask the questions, to have that face-to-face moment where if you're dropping something that you can have an approachable source and say... I can't see this. Can we sit down for a second and draw this out on paper? Can we talk this out? Um, you know, in the online world, it's I, I take it um, throwing up a quick whiteboard is not necessarily as easy to do. No, no. Um, uh, and some ways that we tried to deal with that was uh, the the students were split into four teams. Um, and at the end of each lesson, then you would kind of go into your breakout groups, which was the team. So having that smaller group where you have a, a group that you see uh, twice a week that you work with, that you kind of have your own Discord chat that you can chat with, Um, I think that that kind of helps um, with building that, because if you're in a group of I think it was about 50 students, uh, it can be a little bit hard to get to know everyone versus being in your group of 10 students um, with with one instructor who can um, give a little bit more attention than than just uh, 
uh, to the entire group. So uh, I think I think that that was really helpful, and I'm glad that we were able to split into smaller breakout sessions. And it's intimidating if there are 50 people. You know that like yeah. if I'm about to ask a question and there are gonna be 49 other people going, why didn't she know that? Like how'd she even get in here? You know, whereas it's just like 10. When the, when the truth of the matter is, when the one person asks a question, the other 48 are like, thank goodness somebody asked that. I'm so glad they <laughs> asked that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I mean, and for the most part, the, the boot camp, the, the students all did very, very well, if I remember correctly. Yeah, um, we should look up the percentages later, but um, there are... There, you know, there are people who at the boot camp who are now on the staff of Ray Wenderlich as writers. There are people who have gotten actual jobs as iOS developers, and that's really impressive. Yes. There's a gal. I'm not going to say her last name right, but Daniela, who yeah, was she was on my team. Oh, okay. Well, great work, team, because you know. So now she's on our staff as a writer on the iOS pillar. And she also just recently spoke at Swift Leads, which was one of the mm. one of the few like now back in person iOS conferences in the UK. Wow. Um, that was put together by Adam Rush, who's another RayWenderlich.com author. So, you know, so that so boot camps can definitely work. Yes. You're an example. Danielle is an example. And many of the uh, many of the bootcamp graduates are actually on uh, the Ray Wenderlich Discord, uh, offering help and helping out the community when there are questions about tech that uh, that that happen. Yeah, it's uh, it's popping on the Discord. I know I'm annoying them enough on SwiftUI's channel, but <laughs> that's me. Uh, so exciting! I need to do more with SwiftUI. I, 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 all I've really done is like try to build a widget. Oh. Yeah, I'm converting part of my app right now into Swift UI, and and well, I know both of you are are beta testing and looking at my app, and and you can probably see where the UI just sort of changes slightly because it's now Swift UI versus UI Kit. And cool. I don't know. I'm ex- yeah, I am beta testing, and I'm really excited. Like I'm excited by the UI changes. So, and I have very minimal experience in Swift UI, but I will say. Like as somebody who has done a lot of content creation and, you know, like markup language, HTML, SwiftUI is really straightforward, you know, as in contrast with UIKit and like Interface Builder. No one in the boot camp was a fan of auto layout. And after they discovered (laughs) SwiftUI, it was kind of like for your final project, you can build it, you know, in SwiftUI or or UIKit. And everyone's like, we're going to use SwiftUI. It's, um... I don't remember who said it, but I once heard, um, you know, you you do you do UI kit because that's the industry standard and that's what you have to do for work. And then you do Swift UI for your soul. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. That totally makes sense. (laughs) I was looking over um, another thing that I think we're going to talk about a, a little bit here is is how how you market yourself, how you get out there once you've gotten your your education to get these initial jobs. And I know, Jay, you had given a talk about how to write an app in 20 minutes. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, no. Uh, well, um, 20, 20 minutes is probably about the amount of time that you would get if you were um, 
doing something at a meetup, for example. Um, but I actually was a TA for a class that uh, Turn to Tech offered called Build an App in an Hour. And what we would do is uh, people would come in with their MacBooks and the TAs would make sure that everyone had the right version of Xcode. And then the instructor would teach them how to build a very simple app that was a magic eight ball app. So uh, first we'd we'd open up the, the, um, the storyboard and we would make the background black. And then there would be an image asset of an eight uh, that we would put in. And then, you know, you, you do the corner radius thing to make the, the white circle that the eights on top of um and then you would do and we would teach what an array was and you could in that array write uh, a bunch of strings of whatever fortunes you wanted and then have a random number generator to um you know through that array select a random one and then we would do the ui gesture where if you shook the phone then it would run the function again to pick out a new saying and then we would also like intentionally not tell them that it needs to be you know array dot count minus one so that at least someone would get that crash and then we would say okay here's here's why it crashed mm-hmm. it's because arrays start at an index of zero um, so it was a really good app because we got to go over a lot of things um, and it could be done in about an hour. And uh, then some people had like a cool thing that they built on their phone. That's really impressive. Yeah, it was and a I great wonder, plan. So that was back in auto layout days. Yeah. So I wonder yeah. if it would be any different I, or faster for that particular thing in Swift UI. Maybe not, actually. Hmm, I don't know. I bet that, um, well, you know, um, the reason that we always said that it would take an hour is because the, the goal of the class was to have people come in and build it themselves. So, you know, mm-hmm. uh, right. you, you tell people, you give them a few minutes to type it out. Um, but if, let's say, you're at, um, um, you know, a, a meetup and you have a 20-minute slot and you get to say, uh, okay, here's 20 minutes. Here's what I find very exciting about Swift UI. Let's build a very quick app with some mm-hmm. sample code that you have he- written ahead of time. I bet that you could do, like, you could probably give some people a pretty good understanding of what's exciting about Swift UI with just 20 minutes, which is just awesome. No. You had commented about the the one person who gets tripped up by the array count minus one, and I think that actually oh, goes back to me. that whole. <laughs> no, no, no. The, the, I think that goes back to that whole concept of with six weeks you don't get um you, with six weeks you don't necessarily get the experience. And I was actually thinking about that while working on programming today, where I would actually do a compilation, see nine errors come up, and go, okay, that's this, this is that, that's that, and that's that. But that just comes from that sense of familiarity, from that experiential sense of, I know what the code is supposed to do, I know what these errors represent. And I think that's where we're getting at with some of that concept of moving beyond the boot camp is moving into proving that you've got that sense of being able to find those errors quickly or find those answers quickly. Yeah, it's about setting up a foundation. Um, The first few times, um, well, you know, you get a different homework uh, every week. And the first few times that I tried to set up a table view, it was just... It was so hard. I would have to go back to last week's homework to try and copy the right. table view out of it again because, you know, the the delegates and the data source was something that was just really complex for uh, someone like me who was just programming for the first time. Mm-hmm. But with enough repetition, you kind of get it and sort of 
see uh, like you know the shape of the code or the shape of what you expect mm-hmm. the programming to look like and then from there once you have those down then you can start to uh, go into more complicated things i mean every app has a table view in it so then uh, you can go into more complicated auto layout things and um you just keep building on those uh, but you have to have the foundations first i've been joking lately that i've been taking these little hour naps toward the end of my work day before the evening starts and it's to mull over problems in my current code base for my home project and it's like i'm not napping i'm letting myself drift over the different components in my app and having them sort of dance in a sort of dreamlike state in my head until i wake up about an hour later and go okay this is the data structure Mm. this is how it's going to fit together um it's a real thing yeah that our brains work on these really challenging you know how we structure information how to optimally structure information like you need to nap or swim or go for a walk mm-hmm. or meditate do something besides pour over xcode and write notes and try things and cuss you know like <laughs> you need the you need the away time so you can return with and your brain has done something when you were away absolutely and with the Apple Watch, you can get the meditate function. It'll tell you to stop and think. Nice. Oh, cool. <laughs> I got one recently. Um, it's it's nice to have two minutes to just like ma- make your breathing match the shape of the the thing on the watch. <laughs> okay, so you like that? I still. Um, I did turn I it am... off. <laughs> okay, because I'm not yet a watch adopter, which is really weird. Because I love. I'm a total Apple fan girl, and I have been for years and years. Since Newton days, um, I, you know, I love all things Apple, but the, I don't like wearables. I'm just not sold on them. So I, I'm always asking people, so what do you love about it? And, you know, I'm curious for new use cases. For me, uh, the, the Apple watch was really cool, uh, at first, but, um, I think that its biggest strength is telling you how much you move around, uh, any health Mm -hmm. benefits you want to know, how many steps you've walked. Um, and then other than that, it's kind of a thing that pesters you with notifications. Like there's not a, you know, you can't have a Tamagotchi pet on it. You can't, you can (laughs) sort of check your messages on it, but it's, Uh, frustrating to the point that you kind of just want to whip out your phone anyway. So um, I think its biggest value is for people who want to know how many steps they're taking or check their heart rate and see uh, if it changes over time with exercise. Um, And that's kind of my personal experience with it. It's still cool though. It looks nice. I, I, I thought of it as the, the real estate that you're getting for the device. Um, with the with the phone, when when I had the phone before the watch, it was always I would pull the phone to check the time. I would pull the phone mm-hmm. to check the latest notifications. And then I'd put it back because I'd gotten my quick read, but it was just a waste of, of effort using the phone for these kind of functions. Oh, interesting. So those functions feel more natural when you... Just look at the watch. Checking the time, checking if a notification comes in, I can look down and say, I don't need to worry about that notification. I can read a a trimmed version of the notification. And one of the things that I truly love my watch for is the Apple Pay. That is nice. Oh, I mean, I, I 
have actually managed to forget my wallet now from time to time. And because I've got my watch, I've still got my wallet on me. And so it, can you do groceries that way? And can you do, can we do gas that way? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, but basically okay. it's the NFC chip or the NF, NFC broadcast so that effectively what's happening is a communication between the watch and the vendor um, where you'd basically tap a card. Okay, so anywhere you could do Apple Pay, you can do Apple Pay from your watch. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Although I think some older models of the Apple Watch don't have the right type of chip. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, at Rite Aid, we would have some people and their watches wouldn't work, but then the other person's would. And they would be like, why? Oh, um, Rite Aid also for a while wasn't playing nice with the Apple Watch. I remember that because my, my pharmacy of choice was Rite Aid. And I remember <laughs> it was like Rite Aid actually turned off the ability to get Apple Pay. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's not nice. Now it's now now like Apple always does. It's become ubiquitous. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, I can I've do it anywhere now. Apple creates technology, but what Apple really creates beyond anything else is ubiquity, because they create something and then everybody copies it, and or they copy something that everybody else has done. But what happens is is now everybody is using the same thing the same way. And that becomes our cultural expectation yeah. that we can pay this way. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps I'll get there. I do like easily paying for things. Well, you said so, you, you said your other cool. problem is that you would prefer a smaller watch. Yeah. Yeah. Just which it's just difficult to do that because then it, the watch face is so tiny already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if all you were using it for was just to swipe to make a payment, then you don't really need much screen real estate. But if you want other functions, then, you know. Yeah. And and we'll we'll talk about this more in the next episode because we're going to be talking a, a lot about the watch next uh next episode. And we'll, we'll tease that a little later into the show. Um I got into So I need to get a watch in the next 2 weeks. Yes, yeah, absolutely. But <laughs> write um, it off on your taxes, it's for work. <laughs> but I I totally uh, would do that, yes. <laughs> I, I got into the watch because I wanted to uh I wanted to write the uh the the the, the uh clock face complications. And they're they're just really cool and I I I love the fact that I was able to write those fairly easily. Okay, so writing for it does sound super cool. Oh yeah. I'm glad that it's easy. I remember um I have some cousins who have like they've bought almost every Apple product. They they love Apple and they're always they actually help me stay on top of things because even though I'm an iOS developer, you know, I I had an iPhone six until last year. Um and uh, they uh, they had um, an Apple Watch, and when it first came out, I think it only had three faces. There was like a, a Mickey Mouse uh-huh. face, and a digital face, and then one with like the analog uh, big hand, uh-huh. little hand on it. And uh, for a while, it, th- that was just it. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting because I, I I have been an Apple product consumer since the days of the Apple II. Wow. Um, and the Apple Watch was the first Apple product that I bought Series Zero immediately when it was announced. Oh, wow. Okay. I've, so you were really I've, an early I've adopter. Waited, I've always waited for an Apple product to shake out. I didn't get the first iPod. I didn't get the first iPhone. I was actually on the sidekick at that time. Um, 
which if anybody remembers a little bar of soap with the flip oh, okay. uh, the flip up screen but when the watch was announced with what its capabilities were because my wife is hard of hearing and I knew that there was haptic feedback oh. on top of everything else I immediately grabbed it to find out will this thing be an accessibility boon for people who are hard of hearing. Apple's always been strong in accessibility and I was just thrilled with what I found. So That's awesome. So I've been a great proponent of the watch. And you guys have found that. Yeah, both you and your wife that it's useful. Mhm. Yeah, that's really cool. But enough about us and Apple. Let's go back to talking about Jay. <laughs> Is there ever enough about Apple, though? I'm not. I'm not so sure about that. Our Android listeners would disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yes, good point. We do have other streams here. So, Jay, I know that another area that you have thought about and are expert in is, and we started to talk about it is, is how you get the most out of meetups and like how do you find meetups and then if as you know thinking back to when before you were this experienced person and and a boot camp instructor and an experienced dev when you're a newbie dev what do you do there what do you do at a meetup and how do you like get value out of it and how do you stand out at one yeah so um I enjoyed meetups a lot when I was um, first uh, out of the boot camp, and I was actually introduced to meetups while I was in the boot camp. They would be on Wednesday nights somewhere downtown, not far from where the classroom was. So we would all kind of go as a group. And it was nice because you can meet um, iOS devs who are like working for a big company. You can meet people who are working at startups. And what I've always really liked about uh, meetups is that it's run by people who are just so excited about technology technology that they don't want to just do it at work. They want to get together and they want to have presentations on things that they find interesting, you know, prepare a PowerPoint to talk about um, Swift UI or a, a design pattern or a, a CocoaPod library that they've found very interesting. Um, and uh, at least in New York, they're always really cool because they, they, they're usually at locations that are offices for places. Like I've, there was one at the Peloton office. There's one Ooh. at Google. Yeah, it's, it's very cool to actually see inside of those places. Plus, you get to talk to other developers who are just as excited as you are about um, whatever the theme of the meetup is. It's always nice to be surrounded by people who are in that same technical vein, uh, partially because you do get to celebrate that technology that you work in so hard. But it's also those carefully closed quarters where you can also vent without it mm. spilling out. Mm. Yeah, it's um, a meetup is very different. Like, I know that a lot of people would find them useful for networking, which they are, but it's really not the same as going to a career fair, which is just networking. A lot of it is really just hanging out with other people who um, enjoy coding in Swift or Kotlin. So what if you do want to use it for networking, though? Um, like, what if you're... What if you're at that phase in your career, which I mean, like, it's not really just one phase because it recurs, right? What if you're looking mm -hmm. for the next great thing? Can you get that out of a meetup? And like, how? I mean, uh, well, yes, absolutely. Uh, I got my current job that I'm at out of a meetup. I um, well, tell us how. OK, so. That's really cool. um, 
My my number one uh, networking kind of life hack about meetups is that because they're always looking for speakers, um, why don't you prepare uh, a 20 minute subject uh, where you uh, a 20 minute um, presentation on something that you find exciting and then give that presentation to the audience? This helps you in a couple of ways, because. Uh, in the first way, um, everybody knows who you are, so it's very easy to start a conversation after the presentations because um, they know that you're the guy who went up there and talked about uh, design patterns for 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, it showcase you you know you pick something that you know a lot about, so you can showcase what you're knowledgeable on, um, and uh, it at the end you know you can throw up a slide on the PowerPoint that says um, you know here's my email. Um, you can add me on LinkedIn. Um, feel free to message me if you want to talk more about the exciting world of Swift UI. And also, I'm looking for new job opportunities. Um, and uh, <laughs> Sneak that last one yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We wish we had more time to fit in everything from the entire interview. But if you want to see everything we said and hear everything we talked about, you can watch the whole episode on YouTube in just a few weeks. Jay, I really want to thank you for coming back to the show. It has been a pleasure. We have missed you very much around here. Thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor to be asked to come on as a guest, and it's so good to see you again. And it's really nice to meet you, Susanna. Yeah, it's really cool talking with you. Um, Your story is really inspiring, and you're just really cool to talk to. So... Oh my gosh, thank you. I'm excited about this episode. Thanks. Yeah, me too. You can find Jay on Twitter at J underscore Strawn, S-T-R-A-W-N underscore, which on Discord is a bit of a problem because underscores form italicies. Susanna, you can find on Twitter at Suzgupta, S-U-Z-G-U-P-T-A-I-M podcast, Drew, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-D-R-U. In two weeks, we're going to have Pablo Mateo and Scott Grosch on the show. We're going to dive deep into the Apple Watch, some of the technologies behind it. Uh, There is an Apple Watch book, which we'll be discussing a little bit there, too. In the meantime, that's going to wrap things up for this episode. For Jay, Susanna, and myself, we thank you for tuning in. You can always email us at podcast at raywinderlich.com if you have any questions, comments, or complaints. But in the meantime, we're going to head back to the Emerald Castle. Ray, back to you. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the raywinderlich.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time.